You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 15 through 18 today. And uh, this is going to be the next to last Uh, message in this series on unity Uh, next week because of the way the the calendar falls and the way the dates fall normally we would have Lord's Supper on the last Sunday of every month next week Lord's Supper will be our Lord's Supper Sunday on the 21st and uh, we will wrap up our series about unity on that day with a message out of John 17 uh, where Jesus anticipating him going to the cross Part of his prayer for his believers is that they would be one, that they would be unified. And so we'll be closing this series up next week with a lesson out of John. And then uh, the 28th, we will start into our Advent series, getting us ready for the Christmas holidays. But today we finish out this little section in Philippians, verses 15 through 18. And uh, the, the overall theme of the series has been Lessons in Unity. Our little extra subtitle there that's in your uh, bulletin that you might see today is this, that we can't shine when we whine. We can't shine, as the scripture is going to call us to do in just a moment, when we whine. Paul has given instruction on many different and difficult things here in Philippians 2. He's talked about unity and humility and looking to the interest of others, working out in obedience what God is working in in our lives. All of this under the example of Jesus himself, who took on humility, who took on the form of a servant, who took on obedience even to the point of death, death being being the death on the cross. And so there's a good chance here that some in the Philippine churches might have taken some offense to Paul's words. There's a good chance that in modern day time, we take some offense to Paul's words and the things that he's calling us and the things he's, he's telling us that we're empowered to be and who we're empowered to be. And so Paul here in these verses speaks again to this attitude or this mindset that we must have as we pursue unity and as we do that to the glory of God. So Philippians 2, 15 through 18, um, actually 14 through 18, apologize, if you want to start there with me and, and follow along and then we'll dissect it a little bit today. He writes, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Y'all just want to stop there? Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Again, we can't shine when we whine. Paul begins in this first little section with these very tough, difficult first words. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 
Who is the, who is the grumbling and, and disputing to or from or, or who's it towards? Uh, most scholars, most commentaries uh, are kind of split in it. Many believe that it is grumbling and disputing that is going on within the body of the churches of Philippi. And, and that's probably a very likely scenario. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I mentioned that if you look over at Philippians 4, there was apparently these two workers of Paul's ministry, these two women who had some kind of thing going on. And so that maybe was causing some of this division in unity. So it's most likely grumbling and, and disputing towards one another. But there are also some who believe that it could have been, in addition, grumbling and disputing towards God. And the idea being that they were grumbling towards God, you really expect this of us? You really expect to hold us to this kind of standard in our lives? And we'll have, we'll have more on it being against God in a few moments. But, but here, let's just walk through what these things mean. To grumble here, to dispute here, are really two ends of the spectrum of what it means to be against someone. Grumbling is, also in some of your translations may say murmuring. And it's that hushed, that low, that very secretive almost tone that you take with someone. Right? When your kid, you tell them to go clean their room and they walk off like this. Right? Very low, very sick. You know, you know they're talking about you. You know they're not happy, but they dare not say it to your face or loud or vocally. It's that, okay, I'm in my room, you know, clean my room, yeah. And then he gives us the opposite end of the spectrum, which is disputing. It's a word that stands for arguing for or against something um, by way of reason. But it really is also a word that means it's vocally loud. That like in arguing against someone, we not only uh, incorporate reason in the argument or give our reasons for why we don't want to do whatever we've been asked to do, but we do it very vocally loud. So he goes on and gives us both ends of the spectrum. And he says, don't do either one. <laughs> do all things in your life without, and without, no, I'm not going to do it, and here's why. And he says, do this so that we can be, if you follow along there in 14, going into 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. People look at these words sometimes and go, oh, well, nobody's truly innocent, and that's a fair statement to make. Nobody's truly blameless, and that's a fair statement to make, but this is about an inner part of us, and this is not about, uh, or this is not necessarily about the inner part of us, it's about our actions that are seen by other people. Do all things, church, and we're going to see in just a moment, both within our community and then in the midst of the world, do all things without grumbling, without disputing, so that if someone comes to make a charge against you or an accusation against you, it falls flat. You become blameless. You become innocent because people have seen who you are and, and how you act and, and what you do and how you love and have full compassion and everything else. This is a, a, this is a common thing through the New Testament. Peter picks up on this, and I've read this before. And I'm going to read it again uh, for you. And I know I've used it two or three times at least in the last four years. But in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, beginning verse 11, he says this. 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He goes on in verse 13 to start to about submission to authority. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. And listen to this. People ask all the time, well, what's the will of God in my life? Well, here you go. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter and Paul are on the same page. Do all things without grumbling. Do all things without disputing. Do these things so that when someone comes against you, when someone wants to say, I know old so-and-so at Providence Baptist Church, and let me tell you what they are all really about or what they do, there are others that go, oh, no, no, you can't be talking about the same person I know. Because I've seen their life. I've seen the way they are in public. I've seen the way they are with people. That, that surely is not who you're talking about. That we might be blameless and innocent children of God. And then, and this, I'm just going to tell you, this is my most favorite part of today's message. I've been waiting all week to preach this to you. I think it's so cool what Paul does here. You may not but when it's all over, but that's okay. He says, blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Without blemish. Some of your translations may say without fault or without rebuke, but it all goes back to this same really, really cool Greek word. Paul uses terminology throughout his writings, as does Peter, as does James and others. He uses terminology that's cultural tech, tech, uh, terminology. Okay, so he uses things, they use things in their writing in the New Testament that, that has the people's mind go to a certain place. So he uses this Greek word for blemish or for fault or rebuke. He uses this Greek word called amamos. In the Greek, the a prefix means not or without. So if you want to think about it from our English words, right? The word impossible, the prefix m means without possibility. Or non-negotiable. The prefix non means without negotiation. It's a fixed thing. So it's the same type of stuff going here. This Greek prefix ah, meaning not or meaning without. And this word momos was actually the name of a Greek god in Paul's culture. But not just any Greek god. Listen to this. This is so cool what Paul does. The Greek god Momos was the Greek god of satire, mockery, and criticism. His goal within the realm of the Greek mythological gods, his goal was to find fault with everything and criticize it. That was his work. Matter of fact, in the, in the stories of the Greek mythological uh, gods, he criticizes Poseidon, he criticizes Athena, he criticizes all the, the pantheon of the Greek gods, and it's said that he actually mocked Zeus so much that Zeus ends up exiling him from Mount Olympus. Now, now let's, let's get a little further into this Greek god. His family background, he was the son of the goddess of night and the god of darkness, we're going to see in just a moment that Paul says shine as lights, right? 
And he's saying here that we have without momos, without darkness. He had a twin sister who was the goddess of misery. So everything about this momos, everything about this cultural god of Paul's day and of the the people's day who were listening and hearing these letters, everything about it is a name that they would understand. The Greek, ah, without momos, oh, he's the one that criticizes everybody. He's the one that rebukes everybody. He's the one that finds fault with everybody. Oh, he's the one that's completely in darkness because he's the, the son of the dark and the night. And Paul's using a word here that says, be without. Out that. Be without darkness in your life. Be without criticism in your life. Be without finding fault in your life. Be without uh, being a person who seeks to find wrong with everything. And instead, as we'll see in just a moment, be lights in the world. Listen, we need a hard reset as Christians, and we need it daily. And the hard reset is that we should reset on a daily basis and get away from grumbling and complaining and disputing with one another, with other churches, with other people outside of the church. And we should hard reset on a daily basis and understand what we've been given in Christ. Complaining comes far too easy for us. Far too easy for us. And it should be a daily thing that we make a part of our morning prayers or our morning study or or whatever and then continue through the day. God, God, where am I in danger of, of having momos, not being without momos? And it affects us all. We we got a new roof on the on the house last week, and I was grateful for that, thankful for that. And and they had to disconnect the satellite. And they put it back up, but when it got disconnected, it kind of threw it wonky, you know. So we'd been able to watch some TV, but it was all in low resolution. Oh. And so I called Monday when they were done with the roof, and I called our our satellite TV supplier. I said, hey, you know, we've got a new roof. I need a guy to come out, recalibrate it so we can. Okay, sir, yes, that's something I hear clicking in the background. Okay, well, we can get to you Saturday. Saturday? That is unacceptable. Well, sir, Saturdays, if, if we can get you in any earlier, well, we will. But, but it's a, I said, you're, so I got to watch low resolution for a week? <clears throat> and then that afternoon, I saw a news story from another country about a nine-year-old girl who was being sold by her mom and dad because they don't have money for food, and she was being sold to a 55-year-old man to be his child bride so the rest of the family could eat. But low-resolution TVs unacceptable? People, we need a reset. And I understand things are, are not the way we imagine them right now, and they're not the way we're going, and I don't like paying the money for gas, and I don't like paying the money for milk, and I don't like going to get stuff for Thanksgiving and seeing shelves bare. I don't like any of that any more than any of the rest of you like it. But you know what? Grumbling and complaining and disputing about it's not going to change a thing. And maybe instead of being grumblers and disputers and doing all these things about not only that stuff but everything else, maybe instead we need to embrace this thankful attitude that we're in the midst of right now in this season to say, God, thank you that I'm able to pay $309 for a gallon of gas. 
Thank you that I've got a car that I can put it in and I'm not having to walk to, to work. Thank you that whatever it is that in my mind I lean towards wanting to grumble about, thank you that you've done something else in my life that's either given me that opportunity, given me that material uh, ways to pay or have it or whatever else, and let's take it a step further. For those of us that can, let's see who else is in need and how we can take what God has given us and help them. Instead of grumbling and complaining and being with momos. Let's be people who are blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, without momos. And look at what Paul says. Where are we supposed to do this? Look at what he says, picking it up there, middle of verse 15. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The church, Christians, we are to be separate We are to be set apart. The word saints that Paul starts this letter off with, that he starts all of his letters in the New Testament with, to the saints in the church at Philippi, it's a word that means separate. It's a word that means set apart. We're set apart for God's purpose. We're set apart for for his kingdom and, and his work. We're to be separate and set apart, but we're not to be isolated. Paul doesn't say to do this in the midst of your own little holy huddle. He says, do this in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, Paul does not admonish us to retreat from the world and go to a spiritual isolation ward. It is only as we're confronted with the needs and problems of real life that we can begin to become more like Christ. Jesus prayed it. We're going to be in John 17 next week, but part of his prayer as he was praying for his disciples was this in John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. If the intent of the kingdom of God was to get us saved and then get us out, they would have been the first guys gone. Oh, you're following Jesus? Okay, let's remove you. But that's not the way the kingdom works. And and while occasional we do need to have some spiritual retreat, occasional we do occasionally we do need to have some some quiet moments. Jesus himself practiced that, going off to pray, going off to be the Father. That's not the normative for him, and that was not the normative for his followers, and that was not the normative for the early church. Paul says, in the midst of a crooked, which means dishonest, immoral, and twisted, meaning deviating from moral standards of right and wrong, generation, generation here having more to do with a period of time than it does a specific people, in the midst of this is where we're supposed to shine. Now, I I want y'all to catch this. I said early on that... There's dispute as to whether or not the grumbling that was going on was just going on within the churches and within the Christians' uh, relationship or whether it was actually some grumbling to God as well. And there is some understanding that perhaps Paul was also writing here with a secondary intent because the Christians in Philippi were grumbling toward God. Let me read to you again from verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now hold on to that that phrase for just a moment. In Deuteronomy 32, Moses 
has been giving the, the story of Israel. Moses is not going to get to go into the promised land. Moses is going to, he's not going to see what God has promised because of his disobedience. But he's been giving them the story, what all God's been doing. And he begins to conclude. And in Deuteronomy 32, beginning verse 4, he says this. The rock, his work is perfect. Uh, I love that God is referred to as the rock here. I think it's outstanding. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity and just and upright is he. And listen to this. They, meaning Israel, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. So Paul uses a phrase in Philippians 2 that mirrors a phrase that Israel is described at in Deuteronomy 32, that they are a crooked and twisted generation. Why did Moses call them a crooked and twisted generation? Because all they did was complain. All they did was grumble against God. From the moment he got them out of Egypt... At the Red Sea, the Red Sea's not parted yet. They turn around, they see Pharaoh and his armies closing in. Why did you bring us here? At least if we'd have died in Egypt, we'd have had graves. Oh, the Red Sea's going to part? We're going, oh, okay, well, cool, all right, we'll, we'll take that back. Moses goes up on the mountain to do his thing with God. They wait and they wait, they wait. Oh, well, daggone it, Aaron, build us some gods. Take all of our gold, melt it down, build us some gods because Moses is taken to, oh, Moses has come back down. Oh, God's mad. Oh, okay, all right, well, all right. And then the journey, right? All we've had to eat is bread. And God's got a sense of humor. He says, okay, I'm going to give you so much meat that's going to come out of your nostrils and you're going to hate it. We don't have any water to drink. I mean, on and on and on. All they do is grumble and, and they forget to remember who God is and what he's done for them and the place that he's taken them to and the places he's brought them from. And because of their grumbling, they're called this generation. Because of their grumbling, they're called this crooked and twisted generation. Don't miss this, folks. We read Philippians 2, and rightly so, we might look at the time period around us and go, yep, yep, crooked and twisted generation, absolutely crooked and twisted time, don't miss that Paul's also using this to remind us that God's people can become crooked and twisted if all they do is complain. That if all they do is argue, if all they do is fight, if all they do is dispute, that we can become that crooked and twisted generation. And so in the midst of the church body, in the midst of the world, he says we're to do this among whom you shine as lights in the world. Two specific ideas here. One, going back to that word for blemish, that amamos. Remember, I told you he was the, the son of darkness and night. And so Paul, again, is referring back to there. Don't, don't, don't be in the darkness. Shine as a light. Don't, don't, don't be like the, the Greek cultural God who criticizes, who finds fault with everything, shine as light. And then the second specific idea here, I think, obviously, is most, most pointed to Jesus. To Jesus, of whom John describes in the first chapter of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. That same Jesus would go on to say in John's gospel in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. One of the great I am statements that Jesus uses in John's gospel. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John in his later letters, in 1 John through the scriptures, and I'm just picking John today. You can find references to light through all the New Testament of who we're to be. But in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. See again the contrast with this fake, false Greek God. One is consumed with darkness. But God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, in the midst of a crooked and twisted time that can affect both outside of the realm of the church and inside of the realm of the church, shine as lights. Now understand this. Paul's not calling for the church at Philippi nor the church today to isolate ourselves from the darkness. We're called to be light in the midst of it. I got a fun little flashlight here. And you can obviously see that it's working right but you know it it diffuses out in this light room you you know it's there you can you can tell it's got some power to it but but if this place was pitch black and I was to put this puppy on I could lead every single one of you out we're we're not light in light places we're light in dark places We just sang it, light of the world. You stepped down, you came down to darkness. And in the midst of these things, we are to be the light of Christ. Are we whining or are we shining? Are we dark or are we light? Paul closes out here as I begin to close out with this really neat but somewhat peculiar metaphor. Look at verse, the end of verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of life. That's, of course, just a reference to holding fast to the gospel, the truth, the word of God. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul held all the churches that he was a part of, all the churches that he had had a hand in starting, all the congregations that, that, that bore his trademark, if you will, he held them in high regard and he did not want to see any of them falter. For to see them falter would have meant that his work was in vain. He, he uses similar language with the Corinthian church in his letters there. And so he says he, he do this, shine his lights, holding fast, so that I may be proud that I didn't run in vain and labor in vain. But then look at verses 17 and 18. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. With me. 
what is this metaphor, this drink offering thing that he's talking about? Um, I'm not going to turn to it there, but if you wanted to read in Numbers 15 and Numbers 28 and 29 sometime this week, you would see that there were times where God called upon an offering to have three components to it. And the last component was a drink offering. And once the main sacrifice, once the main animal had been sacrificed and was on the, the fire and was on the, the, the coals and the ashes, someone would come along with the drink offering, which, was, which consisted of a certain amount of wine, and they would pour it on and around and over that sacrifice, and the resulting steam from that would arise as a pleasant aroma to God to show that their sacrifice was accepted. So the drink offering was important, but it wasn't the most important piece. The main sacrifice, the, the main animal was the most important piece in that. And so when Paul says to them, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, what is Paul doing? He's raising up his fellow Christians in the churches of Philippi. He is putting them above him. He is fulfilling what he wrote to us in the very first couple of Sundays we went, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. If there's encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. What Paul is saying with this drink offering terminology is he is living out, he is demonstrating the first four verses of chapter 2. To this church at Philippi, your faith is the sacrificial offering. Your faith that calls you to unity, your faith that calls you to being lights in the midst of a, a, a crooked and twisted generation, your faith that requires you to live as Christ lived and to follow his example of humility and servant, your faith, Philippi, is the main sacrifice. My life, and again, think about where Paul's writing from, in prison, perhaps getting ready to face a death sentence, Nowhere does he go, you guys have been doing some good work, but man, y'all ought to be knowing what I'm doing. No, what he does is he says, Philippi, your faith is the great sacrifice. If I can just be counted fortunate enough to be poured out as a drink offering, I will rejoice with you. And likewise, you rejoice with me. Church, may we shine. May we shine. When we shine and we do not whine, people are attracted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we are thankful and we are joyful and we are not grumblers and we are not complainers and we are not disputers, people are attracted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we shine as lights going to the dark places not cursing the dark places, not picketing the dark places, not telling all the people in the dark places of what their eternal fate is, but when we shine in their midst, Jesus becomes beautiful. The gospel becomes powerful. 
and they are called from darkness to light. We cannot shine if we whine. May we make a commitment today as we wrap up Philippians 2 to say to God, we will be without blemish from here on, individually and collectively, for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.